All right, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, and I want to draw our attention to verses 15 through 18. Of course, we've been studying the book of John. We've been in chapter 10 for a number of weeks now, but I want to draw your attention to the statement that the Lord Jesus makes in verse number 15, and we'll take that for our subject today. Jesus' words in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. As we'll see in these verses from verse 15 to verse 18, we realize that Jesus is announcing ownership. He's announcing that there are those in which he owns. There are those in which hearts he possesses. There are men and women in which are his. He speaks of these individuals as the sheep. We've been dealing with that thought over the last few weeks that Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep and one of the characteristics that made him the shepherd we introduced last week was the fact that he would die for his sheep. Jesus as he speaks of the sheep remember he is at this stage preparing to give his life. He has not yet gone to the cross where we just remembered him through the Lord's Supper. Jesus as he spoke these words had not yet gone to the cross. He had not yet been crucified. He had not yet been risen from the grave. He had not yet ascended back to the right hand of the Father where he is now. So again, we look back to what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus clearly knows those that are his. He knows who they are. He doesn't say, we'll see this in verse number 16, he doesn't say, I hope that they hear me, I hope that they follow me. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. And he promises there will be one fold and one shepherd. Look at those verses that he speaks those more closely in just a moment. But there is something about God here. There is something that Christ is stating. Christ is stating authority over his sheep. Christ has the authority because the authority has been given to him by his heavenly Father. And we know that from what we've been studying over the last few weeks. Oftentimes, we think we as man hinder God. We think sometimes we prevent God's plan from being accomplished. We think God's going to lose some of these sheep. But yet Jesus says, they are going to come unto me. There will be one fold. There'll be one shepherd because I am the shepherd of the sheep and I have laid down my life for the sheep. One of the struggles we have in our lives is often we think, uh, what if the preacher doesn't preach strongly enough? What if the preacher doesn't do all that he should do? I will tell you something, folks. No matter how weak the preacher might be, no matter what might happen, man cannot stop God from carrying out his purposes. And that's good to know. I can't hinder God from carrying out his purposes. I can fail God in the most grand way, but yet I cannot hinder his purposes. I cannot prevent his sheep from coming unto him. I cannot stop it. So what has Jesus told us to do? He simply told us, I am the shepherd, they're my sheep. Every preacher needs to remember that. Every pastor needs to remember that. The people are Christ's. What about the hardness of man's heart? Is there a man's heart who is too hard who Christ can't bring unto himself? And the answer to that question is no. Think of the hardest heart or the hardest hearted man or woman you know. Is God hindered by that? No, he's not hindered by that. Even the hardest of hearts, Jesus Christ can break that hard heart 
and will carry out the divine plan of his Father. All those that are in Christ, all that has been chosen in Christ, they will be saved. This is not a matter of will they, it's a matter of only when will they come to repentance. Now you'll notice here in verse 15, and we're going to read down through verse 18, I want you to see these principles that we've just talked about. He says, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. Now notice, now he adds another expression here, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus himself promises a resurrection before it ever happens. He says that even though my life is going to be laid down, I want you to know two things. Number one, I'm the one laying down my life. And number two, I have the power to take, down the very, take back the very life I laid down. In other words, this is in my control. There is nothing that man is doing to me that is hindering the perfect will and the perfect plan of God. We know that Jesus himself was delivered by the determinate counsel, the determinate counsel of God. He used wicked hands to deliver a Savior who would die for the sins of his own and would gloriously raise again from the grave. This was not by chance. This was not uh, by God suddenly getting taken by surprise and Jesus was later going to be taken and put upon a cross. This was all part of the plan of God. Our Lord declares not only do I lay my life down, I'm declaring as clearly as can be stated that I have the power to take my own life back again. And therein is what we celebrate today and every other day of our life, the resurrection of Christ. Now, what is believing? Does believing make you one of his own? No, believing does not make a person sheep. It is being sheep by the divine election of God that proves us to be one of his own. The fact that we believe today is proof that we're one of his. If I believe today, it's because Jesus Christ has called me unto himself. And the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, committed himself to die for the sheep. You say, when did that commitment take place? Before mankind was ever here, there was a covenant that was made that Jesus Christ would be the sacrifice. Jesus Christ was not just the convenient martyr, which some have labeled him to be. We'll talk about this more in just a few moments, but Christ did not die a martyr. Christ did not die a martyr's death. It was pre-planned. It was by the decree of God. And we need to understand how important that is. When Jesus makes that declaration, I'm laying down my life. Now, there's three truths I want us to get from verses 15 and 16 as a kind of a general overview here. Number one, God the Father gave the sheep to his son who committed himself to die for the sheep and to bring them into the fold. All right. God the Father gave the sheep to his son who committed himself, that's Jesus, to die for them and bring them into the fold. Notice he talks about there'll be one fold and one shepherd. You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You are either in the fold of Christ or you're not in Christ. There is no in-between. He says, those that are mine, I will bring unto myself. 
Number two, we need to think about Christ as he speaks these words. Christ was continually conscious of the will of the Father. Jesus Christ never once put aside and said, I don't think I'm going to follow my Father's will. He always had his Father's will in his conscience. He said, I must do the work that my Father has called me to do. He says, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. That word knoweth is the same word that is used to describe love. As God the Father loves me, even so I love the Father. Those in who we love, we wish to obey. Christ was always conscious of the will of his Father that he must accomplish his purposes. Number three in these verses 15 and 16 We need to understand that Christ's saving work was an act of obedience to the Father's will. Christ's saving work was an act of obedience to the Father's will. To separate the Father and the Son would be to miss the eternal plan of God. Christ was not acting on his own accord. He was acting in obedience to his Father. And as we think about this phrase, as the Father knoweth me, Christ speaks as one who knows his father loves him. Now, immediately someone would cry out and say, if a father loves a son, why would he put his son upon a cross and pour out his entire wrath on that son? That's the opposite of what we would do. There is none of us today who were parents who would say, I'm going to demonstrate my love towards you by putting you on a cross and I'm going to pour out my full wrath upon you. None of us would do that. Yet Jesus says, before he goes to the cross, he knows what's coming. It's been ordained. He knows what's going to happen. He said, I know my father loves me. And part of the reason that my father, I know he loves me, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Part of his love of the father was his love of you. I and my father are one, Jesus has said in previous chapters and previous verses. This was complete obedience to the Father's will. This verse is directly connected with verse 14 where we left off last week when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. That word know there. I love my sheep and they love me. Today, if you're one of God's children, you love the shepherd. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no mistake about it. When someone says, do you love the Lord? You can easily say, yes, I love the Lord. There are people today that say they love the Lord, but they have a hard time expressing that, that I love him. Why? Because maybe they're not one of his own. Jesus and his sheep, one of the Lord's prayers in John 17, which is remarkable, is Christ is going to say that one of his greatest desires is that his sheep would have the same understanding and have the same relationship that Christ had with his with his father. Look at John 17, verse 21. This is a powerful truth that Jesus, as he's praying, he's praying for his own. And he's praying unto his father and he, he, he desires that his, his father would understand, I want the sheep to know you as I know you and I want them to have the same relationship that I have. John 17, verse 21 He says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. 
I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world." O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these, this is a reference to the sheep again, have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them by name, thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus says, as I know you and you know me, my desire is that you would know the sheep as I know you and you know me. The word know, as it's frequently used in Scripture, it signifies a love. It signifies an approval. It signifies an acceptance. Christ says, I'm not only going to lay down my life for or on behalf of, but I'm going to lay down my life in the place of, instead of. In other words, you should be the one that has to lay down your life because you're the sinner, not me. But I'm going to lay down my life in your place. And that's what Jesus has done. He has laid down his life in our place. In Romans chapter number five, the apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome, speaks those familiar words Paul writes in Romans five, verse six through eight. He says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, oh glorious truths here, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Folks, not just eternal wrath. But the wrath that was poured out upon the Son, we have been spared from. Jesus Christ, as He hung on that cross, He hung there and absorbed the full wrath of God. You've been spared from that. You have been spared from the full wrath of God. As we read in Isaiah 53 this morning, we see that the only reason we live is because Jesus Christ died. The only reason you have life today is because Jesus Christ died died. Now, Jesus makes an interesting observation, secondly, in John chapter number 10, as he mentions, I lay down my life for the sheep, but he says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. What was he talking about here? As our studies have led us, we know that Jesus himself was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's trying to explain to the Jews that it's not just Jews that are my sheep. They are also Gentiles. There are people who, I, who are my sheep who are not of the Jewish fold. And aren't you glad today that it's not a requirement for you to be a Jew to be saved today, that you, are, you have to be a Gentile. His word has gone out into all nations and every, every tongue and every kindred. And yet, Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, but yet he promises we're going to bring them all into one fold. One shepherd, one fold. That sheepfold we spoke about so many weeks ago is what he's making reference to. There were those who belonged to Jesus who yet were still observing all of the ceremonies, 
all of the sacrifices, all the things, and Jesus says, they are mine, they are still my sheep. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, there's a phrase that directly relates to what Jesus is saying in John chapter number 10. It's another one of those pictures of how the Bible is interwoven, that things are not just there randomly. Everything is interconnected. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says, And He, that's Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus was speaking to the Jews and he was speaking to the Gentiles, he says, there are sheep that are not of this fold, but I have them and I'm going to bring them all in. I am the propitiation for them all. There is no other. It is Jesus Christ who says, I am the shepherd. Christ is not only a propitiation for the sheep that were there among the Jews, but also the sheep among all the nations who will hear His voice and believe. And I love what Jesus says back in our text in John 10. He says, them also I must bring. I must bring them. Not I might bring them. Not that there's a chance I'll bring them. He says I must bring them. Why? Because this is according to the decree of the Father. The Father gave Jesus Christ a people from every tribe, from every nation, from every kindred. Christ is their shepherd. He loved them. He bore their sins. Along with Israel and those in Israel who would be saved, they will hear the gospel Jews and Gentiles alike, there'll be one fold and of one shepherd. Folks, it is a beautiful picture to see what Jesus is doing. He is bringing all believers from every age, from every corner of the earth, he's bringing them into one fold. I don't think we understand that. We are, we are segregated in some senses in our churches today. We all go to a church uh, hopefully not just of your preference, but of God's choosing. Uh, where you go to church is not left up to our choice. It's where God places us. And when God places us in that fold, he's placing us there for a purpose. And many people just assume that, well, church is just a choice. No, it's God's choice, and God places you where he wants you to be. But this is just a picture. Whether you're in a small church or a large church, we don't have the full picture yet of what it's going to be like to be in eternity with one fold and one shepherd. Where all those voices and all of those who've been redeemed from every age will be all together. The church is a great picture of a bigger picture. That's why we believe in the local church. We also believe in the invisible church of believers from every corner. Jesus is bringing them all into one fold. The Apostle Paul, you don't have to turn there, wrote about this in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 16. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, 
who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Oh, we still live in a world today where there's so much division and there's so much chaos going on in between the churches and we do this and you do that. And, but don't lose sight of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing together his sheep into one fold under one shepherd. And I can tell you today, all of us as churches, we've all got something wrong. Something we stand on dogmatically and say, listen, this is the way it ought to be. I'm going to tell you, we all have something wrong. There is no perfect church you can attend. There is no perfect church you will find. You will find we all have issues, but there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus is going to pull every believer into one fold under one shepherd, and there won't be any imperfection because we will all be without sin. We'll be like him. Until then, we'll never understand what this perfect union is because it's still marked by division. It's marked by debate. Even in local churches like ours, we actually should love each other all the time. You realize that? Every moment, we should love all of each other's faults. We shouldn't get irritated with each other. We should completely just say, listen, we're all one in Christ, but we have a problem. We still have a sin nature. And we still find ourselves saying, you know, that's just not for me or that's not right. Jesus is making all things perfect. He's bringing every one of his redeemed unto himself. The distinguishing mark of a believer, a believer and a believing church has only one head. How do you know you're in a Bible preaching church, a church that only claims Christ as its head? Christ is the only head of this church. I'm not the head of this church. You're not the head of this church. No local church is the pastor the head of. We're simply just under shepherds. Jesus Christ is the only head. There is no denominational head. It is simply Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because he is the only one worthy of that title. And Christ is the one that will bring them. He is the one head. He is the only keeper. He is the only shepherd. That's what distinguishes a true church from a false church. A church without Christ as its head is not a church at all. There's a lot of places that say we're all about Christ, but Christ is never preached. Hard to believe, but there are churches today where Christ's name won't even be mentioned today, even on a day when it's commonly known that that's at least when you talk about it. <laughs> They've already had their excitement for the day. They've already sent their kids out into the side yard and they've already had their Easter egg hunt and people have walked through the doors and left and never heard about Christ. How sad. Sad that Jesus didn't give us this day to think on those things. He gave us this day and every other day to celebrate his resurrection. Not just this year, it happens to fall on April 21st. Every day is a resurrection day. Because every day your only hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from that grave. And people say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Then you don't believe in God. You can't be a believer today and say, I don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Because without the resurrection, all these things that he says become useless. Christ must lay down his life, he says, but have no worries. I will take that life back up again. Look at these last two verses we'll look at today, verses 17 and 18. 
First of all, we saw that the good shepherd commits himself to die for the sheep. Number two, we see the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, declares, I have power to take my life again. Three quick truths from these two verses. Number one, and we've already looked at this one, Christ, by the decree of the Father, is the only true shepherd of the true church. Christ, by the decree of the Father, is the only true shepherd of the true church. Number two, Christ willingly, and don't miss this word, and effectually gave his life for the sheep. Oftentimes, people make the mistake and say Christ willingly died. That's true. But his death was not just a death to be acknowledged. His death was effectual. It means his death actually did something. Okay? And this is important. And I don't want you us to miss this. Because what Jesus is, Jesus is not just telling you, just acknowledge I died. Okay? When he, when he make, uses these words in verses 17 and 18, look what he, he reminds it again. Therefore doth my father love me. This is almost an answer to verse 15. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it, what is it, my life, from me. But I lay it down of myself. Oftentimes we use phrases like this. They've killed the Lord. They killed him. They took him. They killed him. And yes, in the truest sense of the word, we can say that. But understand something. There was no part of Jesus's life that was not voluntarily given over. Even when Jesus lifted himself up on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was not man that had killed him. It was Jesus dismissing his spirit and saying, now is the appointed time. What is the appointed time? That he's just going to die? No, something effectual happened. His death is not just something to be acknowledged. It is literally that which has saved you. And folks, this is what's been misunderstood for so many years. And this used to be common Bible knowledge. But somehow we've got in this mode that says, listen, the only way for Jesus' death to make any difference to you is if you acknowledge it to be something. No, his death actually secured and paid for the penalty of sin and secured your redemption. It's not just something to look at and say, well, he died. It is effectual. And we'll look at that in just a moment even further. Again, Jesus is speaking what's going to take place in the future. It had not yet happened when he speaks these words. But number three, Christ rose again from the grave by his own power. As they were reading the scripture today, Matthew 28, if you caught, or caught on the end of that, they had to tell a story. They had to make something up. They did, the Jews did not have an answer as to really why that tomb was empty. And if you caught on to that, he read at the very end of that, he said that they had to pay people money to deny it because they had no answer for it. And what really, really cut me to the heart when it said there were still Jews that believe unto this day that story. That Jesus didn't really raise from the grave. Somebody went and took that body and Jesus never rose from the grave. And if that's the case, which it's not, because Jesus tells us in John 10, I'm going to lay down my life, but I'm going to take it again. How do I know that that tomb is empty? Because Jesus said it'll be empty. You say, don't you need to see that tomb where he was buried? No. 
People talk about going over to, the, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to Israel and places like that and say, boy, it just does something for your faith. I want you to tell you, it might do something for you emotionally to see where Jesus walked. It might even do something for you emotionally to see where the cross was. It may do something for you emotionally to peek your head in and see what you already know. But if you're going because I need proof, You've already missed the truth of what Jesus said. Why do I believe in the resurrection? Because Jesus said, I got the power to take my own life and I got the power to raise it up again. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. Look, it's not just about emotionally getting connected with God. That's the new gospel going around. Now you need to emotionally connect with God. This is not an emotional connection. You can be emotionally connected with a lot of things and a lot of people you don't necessarily love. You can be connected emotionally for a lot of different reasons. This is not an emotional connection. This is not just something to say, listen, I, 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 I'm getting caught up and I, I, in, in this. I feel sorry that Jesus went through all this. Now listen, there's no part of me when I try to read about the crucifixion accounts and I try to read what was happening. It does. It cuts me to the heart because I realize Jesus is doing that for me. But you could watch a drama or a presentation of Jesus being put on the cross and that doesn't mean that you're effectually saved because you're moved emotionally. Our emotions move at the drop of a hat. I mean, my, I'm an emotional person. My emotions, are they change almost on a dime. And if I'm not careful, I'll mistake emotional for truly understanding what Jesus Christ was doing and what he was saying. Even some of his own disciples doubted his own resurrection. You know, we think that all the disciples said, yep, just like I said, I believed it the whole time. No, after his resurrection, there are still disciples who claim to be disciples doubted that he really rose from the grave. They were in just much disbelief as some of the non-believers were. Folks, I believe there are people today that could be even sitting here today, I don't know that, who really deep down, you don't really even believe the resurrection's a possibility because you've seen it from a human perspective. When a person dies, there's no coming back from that. Because we've seen it with loved ones, we've seen it with other people, we read stories about it, we say, listen, people just don't come back from the grave. Yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And because he did, you and I have hope today. We have a hope that death for the believer is never goodbye. Because we know there is instantaneous to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's because of the resurrection. It's the only thing that makes death palatable in this life. If I had no hope of a resurrection, I would have no reason. I have no reason to have hope if there is no resurrection. Remember, Jesus is saying this all before it happens. One man put it this way, and I love what he said, and I never thought about this. But he said, Christ's entire earthly life was a perpetual death. For those 33 earthly years, when he took on a robe of human flesh, he was dying. Not in the sense that we think about. He came to die. Everything he was doing was pointing to the cross and pointing to his burial and pointing to his resurrection. Everything he did. He didn't do all those things to give us a good moral example. He did all these things because we were sinners. And our sin debt had to be paid. 
I lay down my life. The laying down of his life was this supreme act of obedience. He gave his life with the view that he would clearly take it again. He raised himself in the power of the Holy Spirit from the grave. His resurrection declared something about him. It declared that he is and was and will be the Son of God. The resurrection is proof that God the Father was satisfied with the offering that was given. If God the Father was not pleased with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he would still be in that tomb. The reason that tomb is empty is because God the Father was pleased with the sacrifice and he rose from the grave. Christ made full satisfaction for the payment that was due. In Romans 1, the very first part of that great book we've been reading, Paul writes about this in Romans 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated of the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. Now listen to this. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, his resurrection declared him to be the Son of God. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. What an amazing picture this is, that his death declared him to be what Jesus had already claimed, I am the Son of God. The full justice of God was satisfied. Jesus Christ rose from the grave for the, his people's justification. Hebrews 6 tells us that Jesus Christ entered into heaven and he ever lives to intercede for us. As we finish, let's just think about this final statement that Jesus makes in verse 18. No man taketh it, my life, from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down. Now watch this. And I have power to take it again. Now if you stop there, you'll miss what Jesus ties us all together. This commandment have I received of my Father. Commandment of what? To lay down my life and to take it again. Remember I told you Jesus was always conscious, conscious of the Father's will. He never once considered violating what God the Father had commanded him. You hear all sorts of stories, and sadly, the not Hollywood, but drama in general has kind of changed to make the story uh, because, you know, entertainment's after, a, it's after, it wants to get something in you going, right? So a lot of the ideas are that, you know, you see movies and, and quite honestly things that have no biblical relevance at all where people try to put that there was a dispute between Jesus the Son and God the Father, kind of like making it a human relationship. That, you know, because we as sons uh, had uh, disputes with our earthly father. I did. I didn't always, as a matter of fact, my father and, and myself uh, had a very, very rough. And there was a lot of times, and it wasn't because he wasn't doing right, it was because I was a rebel 
and it's because I didn't want to do what I was told to do. It's because I disliked authority. It was because I was who I was. He was teaching me right. But they, the world tries to put it now that says, listen, oh, there's new narratives now that say Jesus really didn't want to go to the cross. He, he really was kind of saying, I don't really want to do this, Father. Not one time did Jesus Christ ever think about not accomplishing his Father's will. And to believe that garbage, and that's what it is, to believe that there was some sort of a dispute between the Father and the Son is to believe heresy. Or to believe that Satan received a payment from Jesus. No. God the Father commanded the Son, lay down your life, take it up again. This is my commandment. Jesus was announced by his Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father did not have issues with the Son. God the Father didn't have to correct the Lord. Say, Christ, you're doing it wrong. Lord, Son, you're doing it wrong. There's some theology out there that teaches exactly that. That's why important, it is important to understand what does, what does the Bible actually teach? That resurrection declares all that we need to know that the Son of God, the Father, was 100% pleased in everything the Son had done. Why? Because the Son acted in perfect obedience to the Father. Something none of us could ever do. You know how many times I told myself I'm going to obey my dad from now on? That lasted about two hours. You know why? Because that's the wickedness in me. And that's, that's not, that is what was not present in the Lord. The Lord could not rebel against his Father. I've given you this illustration. People often say, well, why didn't Jesus just call those 10,000 angels that the song talks about and pull himself off the cross? Because that would have been disobedience to the Father. And had he pulled himself off the cross, it's more than just your eternity. He would have, been, he would have no longer been God. Now, that's a hard concept to grasp. But we like the Jesus that, eh, he's a little bit more touchy-feely. We like the more emotional Jesus who, who had us in mind. Listen, he may have had you in mind, but you're, you understand something. This was by the eternal decree of God. He did not do what he did because he had an emotional connection with you. He did it because before the foundation of the world, the Father gave the Son the sheep. And he said, these are who I give you and you're not going to lose a single one of them. Now, I don't know about you, but there's great hope in that today. That being one of his own, he's not going to leave one. He's not going to miss one. And he's not, we're not dependent on, he's not dependent upon us doing right. Because if we have to do right to get to glory, I have no, nothing but bad news for you today because you're not going to get there. You say, you don't know all the good things I do. You don't do enough good things to merit anything with acceptance to God. Neither do I. Jesus says, no man takes my life. The narrative, it looks like he was taken by force. It looks like he was beaten. And he was. It looks like there was a crown of thorns placed upon his brow. He was pierced with a spear. Nails were driven into his hands and into his feet. But man didn't do that. He did it willingly, effectually. He took on his own death. He was our substitute. 
Jesus obeyed the covenant of the Father, fulfilled the work he was given to do. Jesus was sent into the world to redeem the sheep, accomplished it by the death that was required. He did not die as a martyr. He did not die as a reformer. He did not die as a victim, but as a divine substitute. People have died over the years as martyrs. Jesus was not one of them. Jesus' death was preordained. It was before the foundation of the world. He died in the place of, in the stead of. Think about this for a moment. Christ was not only the offerer, he was the offering. The just and the justifier. The laying down of his life was an offering up of himself. He died in the place of. He died in the place of his sheep, those that were his own, those who were given to him by the Father, to obtain a pardon for their sin. His death obtained that pardon. Folks, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that Jesus Christ laid his life down for his doctrine. He laid his life down for the sheep. There's a big difference. His resurrection confirms it all. Today, the resurrection confirms everything that Jesus Christ said he is. He conf- it confirms that God the Father accepted the sacrifice and was pleased with the Son. If he's pleased with the Son, he's pleased with you that are his. Now, when you realize what a sinner you are and what a sinner I am, And we truly understand it. How can God the Father be pleased with me? He can't be. The only way he can be pleased with you is when he sees his son. When he looks at you as a child of God, he's looking at you, not in your goodness, not in your merit, not in your worthiness. He did not save you because you were lovable, you were more attractive, you were more prosperous, you were more valuable. He did that because you were a gift of the Father unto the Son, and Jesus Christ obeyed the Father's commands. That's why when we stand before God one day and we stand are seated before the throne of, of Jesus Christ, it will be singing, worthy is the Lamb. Not worthy was I, not goodness was I, and I got here because I'm good and, and I'm valuable to God. I'm, I'm His choice, the servant of all. No, you'll be there because when God the Father sees you, He's going to see the righteousness of His Son. Folks, laying down his life was not a minor thing. And this is not minor what we're talking about today. And I want us to consider and think about what all this means. To be a child of God is to be a gift from the Father. And Jesus Christ has redeemed you and he's paid your sin debt. I want to conclude with Hebrews 12, just the first three verses. You don't have to turn there unless you'd like to follow along. But this... These verses have reminded me and been a great encouragement to me over many, many years and under a lot of different situations. Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's stand together and we'll pray and then we'll have a closing hymn. Lord, as we come before you tonight and today and every day, Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ has paid it all. And Lord, we do look forward to the day when we will be before the throne, when we will be worshiping in perfect worship, when sin will be no more, tears will be wiped away, darkness will be removed. But Lord, you've given us hope in the day and age in which we live now, even in this present world. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. Lord, I pray for the sinner today. I pray for that one that still has yet to repent and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray today that they would acknowledge their sin, repent, call on Christ to forgive them of their sin. Lord, for those of us that are believers today, we're already in the body. Lord, we thank you and we rejoice in knowing Christ is our Savior. We thank you for the resurrection. We look forward to that day, one fold, one shepherd, when we'll all be in one accord and we'll forever be praising the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close with 187 in our hymns of grace.